so what happened was uh, Maria left the home of the Von Trapp family. And uh, she had been watching the children. She had been a nun. And uh, I know this is a story that is new to all of you. And uh, she had gone to the Von Trapp family where she met Captain Von Trapp. And uh, things went okay. She dressed the children in drapes and <laughs> took them to high mountains and sung unbelievable songs to angels and the Lord. She wrote songs, actually, just amazing songs. She sung. It's beautiful. And, um, but unfortunately... She fell in love with Captain Von Trapp without him knowing that she was loving him and he was kind of loving her and she was engaged to, or he was engaged to Baroness Schrader. And so she left. Are you with me? Yep. And uh, so she comes back and uh, he says this to her. He says, uh, so uh, why did you come back? And she says, I miss the children. Lie. And he says, well, nothing was the same while she was away, and it'll be all wrong again after she leaves. And he attempts to persuade her to change her mind and to stay longer, and then he tells her that his engagement with a baroness is off, and it's the epic part of the movie. I know that so many people that haven't heard me speak before are thinking, what is going on here today? Just stay with me. It's like this epic part. He says, the engagement's off, and there isn't going to be any baroness well, we've called off our engagement, you see. You can't marry someone when you're in love with someone else, can you? He holds her tenderly by the chin and draws her lips nearer for a kiss. Do you remember your first kiss? I'm not the one, not the one you gave your mother, your girlfriend, boyfriend. Do you remember that kiss? Guys get freaked out about kissing. Believe it or not, ladies, they wonder on their first kiss and second kiss, which way did they tilt their head? You know, if it's going to be all mixed up and how they're going to do that. And so today, this is what I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to talk to you about kissing. And it has a lot to do with our scripture, which is in Joshua 24. And a lot of you in this room really need to loosen up. Okay? Turn to Joshua 24. Because it all has a tie-in, trust me. It all has a tie-in. We are concluding this today. We are concluding the book of Joshua. Then we are going to, in the month of December, we are going to be working through what we call the Advent series, which is going to be awesome. And Russ is going to introduce that next week. And, um, and then in January, we are going to talk uh, almost all month about our new mission statement that we're going to share with you, which we are excited to share. But today, we've come to the end. And this is an epic little sermon that um, happens here with Joshua. And I have three points for you that I want to share with you. They're up on the board there. And the first point that I want to talk with you about as we begin to dive into this is, if you look there at Joshua 24, look there at verse 1, where it says, uh, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
And then look what he does here. He starts on a story. He tells them a story. Have, has this ever happened in your life before? Where somebody sits down, maybe mom or dad, grandpa and grandma sits down and says, I want to tell you something that's happened long ago. I want to tell you, long ago your forefathers, and he walks way back to Abraham. Let's go ahead and read that real quick. Long ago your, fo your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. Very important. But I, but I took, and I, meaning the Lord speaking of himself there in the personal pronoun, I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. Now, I want you to kind of focus in here because this is an unbelievable litany of the work, the majesty, the power, and the providence, the providing of God. So notice all the way God's speaking about himself and what he's done here because he's really the star of this, this story that Joshua is telling. And gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob. I assigned the hill country of Seir and to Esau. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then look what he says. I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egypt, the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen and as far as the Red Sea, but they cried out to the Lord for help. And he, now it changes a little bit the language, and he put the darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he brought the sea over them and covered them. And so he goes on this unbelievable just litany of what God has done for them. He spends an enormous amount of time getting to the actual real climax of the story here, the piece that he wants to share. But he wants to remind the people about the Lord and what God has done for him and for them. The emphasis is on God. Long ago, he says. And so here's the, here's the real issue. What he wants the people to understand is this. All the leading, all the leading, all the making, all the giving, all the sending, all the bringing, all the protecting, all the delivering, all the providing, everything that you can imagine, it all rests on one person, and it's Jehovah God, God Almighty. That's what he wants us to understand. All of it was God's work, all of it every bit of it. And he wants them, believe it or not, to do something that we don't do well at all. And what he wants them to do is he wants them to look over the map of their lives. And he wants them to look at that map and to say, look at it. Look at it. Stop your lives. Stop what's going on right now. And stop and look back at all the provision, all the leading, all of it, and look back and see God's wondrous and mighty, unbelievable role in what's gone on up to present. And I want to stop there, and I want to tell you something, that that piece of our lives does not exist in our world. This concept of what it would actually look like for us to look back on our lives and to see a mighty God at work through the ups, downs, valleys, crazy corners, and just actually say, God, 
You have done it all. Wherever I am today, you are the star. We are holy forgetters. And it's one of the reasons why many of you, and let me remind you, it's one of the reasons why we need to come to a place like this so that we can be reminded, so that we're called upon to remember who we were before Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he continues to do. There's three big temptations for us as we think about this concept of thinking back over when Joshua says long ago this is what God did. There's really three big temptations for us as we think about this. For many of us, it kind of falls into these areas. And one is, well, I don't want to think about the past, but what I will do is I want to always think about my future. And do you know what happens to us, folks, when we think about our future? We become a people that are completely filled with fear and anxiety. That's what happens to us. Now think about that and contrast that when I go back and I map out and look back at what God's done. We become a people of thanksgiving. We become a people of humility. We become a people that realize that we, without the Lord, could be nowhere. We would be nowhere but we're always so busy, so many of us, man and woman, everyone in here looking for the future and trying to figure out how it's all going to go that we end up just kind of walking around all the time like the Energizer Bunny just wondering what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And that's not of the Lord. That's one temptation that many of us have and many of us live in. For many of us, for us to look back, it's a big temptation Because many of us, when we look back, I think that, well, maybe more than many of us, we like to take credit for our choices. We like to take credit for our past. As we look back over the past, we go, wow, this this happened because of me. I get all kind of puffed up. And Joshua was telling all the things that have taken place in your life, the good things, they're all from what the Lord has done. You can't take credit. If you made good choices, God placed his spirit there to make you make the good choice. Some of us, we don't like to look back, and this is the third temptation. The reason why we don't like to look back is because if we were to really admit it, some of us are very shamed by our past and by our choices. And so we don't want to look back. We would go, well, if I look back, I just see that I was just nothing more than a big old idiot. I screwed it all up. And the question would be for you would be, is, is, is your your screw-ups greater than God's plan and how he wants to work it out? No. He's still going to use our terrible choices of sin. He's still going to use all of that for his glory eventually. Will you have to walk through the consequences of your choices and struggle? Yes, you will. We've, we've found that out with Adam. Do you have that slide, Brian? found this verse this week, really ministered to me. Can you guys see it over here? If you can, I'll read it. It says this. 
Psalm 71:20, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. Hey, sister. Hey, brother, you need to hear that today. Did you know that for those of you who would look back on your life and you'd say it's nothing but a shame-filled past, maybe the Lord was leading you right in those troubled waters just to do nothing more than to revive you again. How many of you need, don't raise your hand, I'm not asking for that. How many of you know that you have an again God? (laughs) You have a God who you can go to again and again who's consistently interested in reviving his people, his little daughters, his his sons. He's interested in that. It's a beautiful verse. I've had many and bitter, bitter troubles in my life. The Lord has sustained me, and that's really what Joshua was trying to say to these people There's been a lot of mountains and valleys and crazy things, but the Lord in the cloud and in the fire has always been with you. This week, it's an appropriate message as we talk about big God, big G, singular. It's an appropriate message that we would talk about this because this is the reason why you would uh, share your turkey on Thursday, why you would call it Thanksgiving. Maybe, Maybe you need to... Maybe you need to sit in front of your friends and your family and, and you need to spend some time this week before Thursday and you need to say to everybody, I'd like to announce to the table the amazing and unbelievable things that God has done for me. I want to thank him. I want to give voice to the map. I want to give voice to his provision. I want to give voice to his sending. I want to give voice to the fact that he actually has brought me through trouble and he guided me and led me in it. I want to voice it. I want to let people know about it. I want to let my important friends that are going to eat with me today and we're going to laugh and have a great time today. I want you to know what my Lord has done and it's, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with him. Would you, would you do it? Sometimes I would tell you this, that I would be hesitant not to do it. Why? Because I got to confess to you that I am a prideful man. And what I'd like to look back on is a lot of times I like to look back on the great things that I've done, the great, the great choices I've made. Maybe that's why I'm not as thankful. Maybe that's why I'm not thankful enough. Because the only person I really have to thank a lot of times is me. Is that your problem too? Maybe it's all of ours. Practice the art, even this week, of looking back. We are to live for God because of really, when you think about it, it's Thanksgiving. We are to live for God because of who I'd been before God and now what he has done for me in his son Jesus. And these two things require me to look back. They require me to look back and remember who I was before God. It requires me to look back and remember what Christ has done for me over 2,000 years ago on a cross. When we look back and we see how desperate and needy and broken and incapable we really were, we can be thankful for a lot. 
Little gods, small g, plural. Despite all the real life demonstrations, though, of this, this sermon, this is, and by the way, I want you to, I want you to get this right off the bat. The, the people, the children of Israel, uh, just read it like you're them. Because we are them. We're exactly like them. I don't know, maybe the temptation would be, well, I, I wouldn't do that. If God led me by fire, I would be on fire for God every day. And, you know, maybe we would. Maybe that's a temptation, but I don't think so. Despite all the real-life demonstrations of God's power and his provision and bringing him through the Red Sea and the Jordan and rocks and water and unbelievable, miraculous things, the people are still unfaithful. And all the mapping in the past and the drawn it up in the Thanksgiving dinners, bringing out the turkey, looking back and saying, oh, Lord, you've done all this, all of that, the people are still unfaithful. Joel is still unfaithful. Constantly wandering away from the true Lord, my true love, my first love, only to serve and to serve, and I think here, love what I call smaller little gods or smaller lesser gods. And we're going to get into that in a minute. I talked to a, with a couple, a couple years back, not here. They were married, and uh, she had gone away on a business trip. And uh, she would have probably, before this time, she would have probably said, well, our, our marriage is, is great. There's not a lot of problems. My wife, my husband and I um, kind of don't have, we don't have a lot of passion in our marriage. Um, we're at each other quite a lot. And she would describe her marriage in kind of this way that I, I think a lot of marriages are. So she describes it. She's sitting in my office. She's describing what took place in, at this, in this business trip, and she, breaks, she kind of breaks down. And I said, so well, what, what happened? And I can't get it out of her. And finally she says, well, I was, I'm, I was with this man who was a part of what I was doing, and we had been, you know, kind of talking a lot and, um, and you can you know what's coming, right? And she says, and I, um, one night he was walking me up to my room, and, and he didn't go into my room, but he, he kissed me very passionately. And uh, I didn't know, I didn't know, I, and it was in, after, not, nothing else happened after that, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should tell my husband. And her husband's sitting there, right there. And uh, so I've told him, and now we're in front of you. And I said, um, so what, what do you think, husband? Do you think he said, no big deal? Hmm? Well, you know, I'm not a good kisser. So she needs to go find other people that she can kiss. Or maybe, do you think it would have been fine for her to say something like this? Well, I, when I was kissing him, I was thinking of my husband. 
Would that have been okay? Well, of course not. How ridiculous. Her husband understands that her lips are his. Her affection is his. It's no one else's. Doesn't it say something to you about the human condition when you can even see people who don't know the Lord involved in all kinds of different relationships that want exclusive relationships? It should say something to you. Well, in a sense, I want you to follow the story, and this is what I was opening with at the beginning. I want you to understand that that's what was happening with these people. Joshua was saying that, you know what you're doing? You're kissing other gods. You're showing your affection. You're giving time. You're worshiping other gods. And he says that, and I want you to pop down there in verse 14. Because after he talks about this whole deal that of what God has done for him, now Joshua gives kind of the dagger in the sermon. And look at verse 14. Now, Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Look what it says next. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Stop. I want to hit verse 15 in a minute. I want you to understand something. I'm trying to give you this in a different language that will allow me and you to associate it better because I'm no better than you. But here's what it is. Do you know that? You know something? Think about it like this. God's like the husband in the story that I just gave you. God is jealous for our kisses. He is jealous for our affection. It's, it's more than how we're making it. It's, he's jealous for our worship. He wants it to be completely and utterly exclusive, just, just us. He is very jealous for us to worship him and worship him only. And make no mistake about it, my friends, we are worshipers. Please understand that. Please, please get that. In verse 15, Joshua says this, but and it, this is so unbelievable because it's so true of our lives, but look what he says. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, <laughs> are you kidding me? Every day. Isn't that true of our lives? But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, it's very undesirable. Look what he says, though. If serving the Lord seems undesirable for, to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And then this is the famous passage. Whether the gods of your forefathers beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are still living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, Joshua said, you don't get a free ticket on worship. You're going to worship something. 
Do you believe that about yourself? We are worshipers. Joshua was saying, we can't pretend that we don't worship. He says, if you can't worship God, then choose, and listen to this, then choose or name the thing that you do worship. What would it look like in your life for you to name the very thing that you're kissing? The young lady that I gave you in the illustration have had a very hard time naming it because naming things are very difficult for us. They're painful. But what would it actually look, look like for us to be able to name the very gods that we're kissing? There's a lot of power in it because naming things is about confessing and repenting. I'm very, very concerned about this piece. It's kind of a side note for us. And it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's really specifically for Midtowners. I'm really amazed at how many of us, when we face sin, suffering, problems, and issues, how many of us, and I've told you this before, but I want, you, I want to share this with you again, when you're in that, how many of us run away from the body and don't come into the body? And that's been for many reasons why many of us do that. But I want you to know something. God has given you the body for a reason. And one of them is that. One of them is the ability to have a brother, brothers and sisters that you can be around, that you can be free to name things. And they can look at you and say, I'm naming something. You want to you ask, if you want to find out what your idols are, your little gods are, who you're kissing, ask your spouse. She'll tell you. He'll tell you. Ask a good friend, do you have one? That's what I'm speaking about right now. Do you have a friend that would look at you and actually challenge you in that way? It's a good thought to consider. But don't miss the point. Let me get back on track. We worship something. Non-worship is not an option. So what about us? Who or what are we kissing? What are the gods... Think about this question now, young friend. Think about this question. What are the gods that if you were to be brutally honest with yourself, with your Lord, with whoever, that need to be named and thrown away in your life? I've got many. I was, this week has been difficult in that sense because I realized that I've got, wow, there's quite a lot that need to be thrown away and named, named and thrown away. What is it? Is it our career? Is that what I'm kissing? Is that where I find my worth? Is that what I worship? Is that where I spend my time? Is that where I give my energy? Is it my spouse? Is it my children? Is it my money? Is it my clothes? Is it the way other people think of me? Is it the cause I'm involved in? Is it sex? Is it my way of doing life and no one else's? Is it football? I mean, just fill in the blank. Let me cap this piece off and go on to the last, the, the last but, but let, me, let me give you this. This is what I call the kissing test. And here's the questions that you would ask for your kissing test, and this could be some great time for you and the Lord this week. 
Here's the question. There's a few of them in here. Who or what is the object of my affection other than Jehovah God and Jesus Christ? Who or what is the object of my affection other than Jehovah God, the triune God? Who or what? Who or what am I kissing a lot? Who or what are the things that, get this now, think about it for a minute. It's a little crude, but I think it's important to, to throw at you. Who or what am I making out with? It's a good image. It's ugly. But when you think about some of the things that, I, when I thought about some of the things in my life, when I put it to the kissing test, there's a lot that I'm kissing. Do you remember the movie, The Christmas Story? Remember that? You know which one I'm talking about? You know the part where the kid goes up and puts his tongue on the, <laughs> on the pole? I thought, I'm like that. That's how I'm like. I'm stuck to certain things, I feel. What gets my kisses? Who gets my kisses? What gets my attention, my efforts, and my time? And then lastly, I would ask you this this week. Ask yourself this question. It's a deeper question when you peel back the onion of little gods. What is it that I believe about that little god that makes me so want to worship it? What is it that I believe about that little God that makes me so want to worship it, that makes me so want to run to it, that makes me so want to live in it? Think about the question I just asked you. It's a deeper question than say, yeah, I've got idols. By the way, a lot of times when we talk about idols, they're very, it's very cavalier when we share them. Yeah, that's one of my idols. <laughs> Idol. That's not what Joshua's doing here. Joshua was saying, choose you this day whom you will serve. All these other things have a place, don't get me wrong, but that's totally different than the idea that in this, in, the, in our culture, I think there's many gods that we all serve. And by the way, the Lord's, I think, saying to us, it's not me and many. It's not me and your fun little idols you can kind of put up on a shelf and pull them down and carry them with you today. See, it's me, destroy them, throw them away. What do you need to throw away? I don't talk to you a lot about this, but there's many of us here. I really do believe, and I've, I've talked with a few of you about it. If, we really, if you were to really get brutally honest, what many of our idol is in this room, many of us, not all of us by any means, it's money. Or it's our things. Things that we can hold on to. Lastly, let me end by saying, don't you love it? When in 15, he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's more than just a placard you can put up on the side of a truck. It's more than just a sign you'd put up in your home, all done with beautiful little cross-stitch. It's real. The charge is re as real for us today as it was for those people back then. What he was saying was an unbelievable, unbelievable concept because what he wasn't saying was this. I've, I've at one place in time made a choice and that's it. So now that because I made that choice, 
What he's actually saying is this. It's, it's in the Hebrew tense. They basically, the verse really expresses a continuous action. And it needs to be read more dynamically than statically. And what I mean to say by that is this. It involves past, present, and future choices. So if you were to really read it, as scholars say, it would actually say this. It's as if Joshua said, I have chosen to serve the Lord. I am choosing the same path of service now, and I will go on choosing to serve God until the very end. Do you get it? It implies more than this once-for-all choosing as if one can make a choice and be done with it. And true love involves that. True love involves constantly choosing. It's not, a, it's not a fun word to talk about with us Reformed disciples. Choosing. But Paul says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And much of the walking involves making very significant and continual choices about who we kiss and what we kiss. That young lady needed to make a better choice way before the hallway, didn't she? That young lady needed to probably go to one of her friends who she could count on and say, I'm really struggling with my marriage, and I'm going to make a choice to talk to somebody about it because it's going to honor God. On Monday, tomorrow, you and I will again wake up and we will make choices regarding our small gods, our little gods, and our big God. It's going to continue and continue and continue until the Lord comes back. You have been given a power as a child of God. You haven't been given the strength to make those choices. Be encouraged. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for, Lord, the fact that you have sent your Son for us. And it's an amazing truth to think about how much you have brought us through. And we want to say thank you. And we also want to say that we need a lot of forgiveness and we, we want to confess a little, we, but we need a lot of forgiveness, you know. We, Lord, I pray that we would confess a lot. And I, even as my friends, I, I just want to look to you and say there's, there's so many other little gods in my life that I believe are going to literally sustain and help me. Bring me satisfaction. Lord, I confess the superficiality of my faith. Thank you for choosing us as your children. Thank you for even giving us now the, the power to even pray these prayers. We pray this in your name, amen.